Well, if you forgot, my name's Cody Wason. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, we are excited to con- continue our series looking at the book of Acts. Things just got messy. I want to, before I jump into the message uh, uh, tonight, I want to just go back to where we ended last week. So let's just recap last week for those of you that weren't here. We looked at Acts 1 and Acts 2, and we looked at that the birth of the church, the early church, was, was started out of a heart of devotion and boldness, devoted to each other, devoted to Jesus, and that devotion led to boldness. We saw in Peter's sermon, thousands believe the message, and the church is born. And then we ended on this really incredible passage, Acts 2, 42 through 47, and it's beautiful, and it's powerful, and it's on the screen behind me, and it's amazing. And we talked about, this is an amazing passage that describes this first group of believers that we call the early church, how they went about living out this faith in Jesus life. And we talked about how, how amazing it is, how beautiful it is, how powerful of, uh, it is as they're devoting themselves to the Word of God, to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted themselves to each other. They're breaking bread together. They're, they're, uh, miracles are happening. They're worshiping together. Favors on them. People are getting added to their number daily. I just want to pause for a second. And, and in case you thought, hey, I thought this, this uh, series was about things getting messy. And the church is kind of born, and it looks like really nice and really clean. Like, why wouldn't you want to be a part? I mean, this sounds amazing. But I just want to submit something to us tonight, that this passage might be the messiest passage in the book of Acts. Now, it's going to get messier, and I just want to warn you all, people are going to die. I mean, that's messy. But this might be a little messier for us today in 2019. It's really messy. It's going to mess your life up. Your life is going to look really messy if you, do, if you really devote yourself to the body of Christ, to the people of God. It gets really messy when you start selling your stuff so that someone in your life group can pay a medical bill. I mean, it's an amazing story, and it's, it's powerful. But then you wake up the next morning, and their bill's paid, but you don't have your stuff anymore. And you've got bills to pay. And it gets really messy when your friends and your family start looking at you and your life with raised eyebrows because they don't quite understand why you're so devoted to this church or to this group or to this idea. And when miracles start happening, when the power of God starts flowing through, through the church and through your life, and people get confused and they don't ha- it doesn't fit into their box of what God is, it gets really messy to try and walk that out with friends and family who don't agree, who aren't devoted to the church in the same way. So it's really pretty. It's really fun to talk about. But this thing is messy. It's messy when you, remember we talk about devotion is choosing someone or something even when you don't want to, even when you don't feel like it, even when it inconveniences you. Your life's going to get really messy if you choose to be devoted to the church. All right, you with me? All right, so it's already, the church is already messy. Now it's not maybe messy in the way we were thinking it might get. But their lives got messed up when they decided Let's, that we're all in on following Jesus and we're all in with following him together in this community, whatever it takes. I mean, the scripture says that they're praising God every day. They're, they're breaking bread all the time. They're worshiping in their homes. They're worshiping at church called the temple courts. I mean, you guys go to church and you go, maybe you go to a life group. These people were like in it every day. 
They probably got sick of each other. But they were devoted, and it was messy. But we talked about if we're going to be a people who are devoted to each other, the way that the first church was, we've got to get to know each other a little bit. And I noticed, like, my favorite part of that passage sometimes, usually uh, when I'm fasting, my favorite part of that passage is when it talks about them breaking bread together. Glad and sincere hearts. Mm. Let's just get together. And some of y'all I know are amazing cooks, and y'all have friends over, and you just go for it. And, like, there's power in getting around a table of food and looking people in the eye and talking and getting to know one another. That's why y'all do it all the time every day. Why don't we just do it as a church? So that's what led us to announcing that two weeks from tonight, we're doing a church-wide potluck. Okay. That's, see, I, I knew it. I knew it. The excitement level has gone down just a tad. It's not new anymore. It's the same thing. Someone, I was walking out of church last week, and they said, you know, it's not a potluck unless there's fried chicken. So there better be some fried chicken. But here's the deal. We, for us to be able to, like, pull off the logistics of, you know, 300 people eating a meal together, we've got we've to kind of know uh, if people are actually bringing food. It just, that, that's just kind of one of the, the things we've got to know. So if that same AntiochSLC.info, if you could pull it out right now, if you are coming to the potluck, and we're asking that if you're coming, you're bringing something, okay? That's right. Okay, so if you're coming and you're going to bring something, we need you to let us know. So there's a big button that says something like churchwide potluck, and all you have to do is put your name. You don't have to tell us what you're bringing. What you're bringing is based on your last name. We're going to be sending out emails and Instagrams and all this stuff. But we just have to know, are six people bringing food to this thing, or are we going to be okay? So I, I'm just going to give us like 10, 15 seconds right now. Everyone pull out your phone, AntiochSLC.info. If you are coming to the churchwide potluck on May 26th, right now, let us know. Well, I get my notes. This is going to be awesome on the recording. All right. All right. Now, maybe that was more for dramatic effect. You guys can do it at any time. You can go home and, and sign up at any time, but there's something about doing it in the moment so you don't forget. All right, here we go. Like, I'm treating you all like my daughter right now. The timer's on. Five, four, three, two, one. We're done. We're moving on. What's in the past is in the past. All right, so tonight we're going to go over Acts 3 and Acts 4. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 3. We're going to be there for a few minutes. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. It will be on the screen behind me at the appropriate time. That time is now. Acts 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. 
Hey, all right. Let's go. Jesus promised to the disciples that they would do even greater works than he did. So here we go. The church is now performing miracles. But what is this passage uh, telling us about the church, about who we're called to be? I want to just highlight two things from these seven verses. The first is, you know this book, it has an author. And by most accounts, that guy's name is Luke. So there's a reason, when you think about it, these aren't just words on a page. Someone put them there. Someone had to, had to write them and had to, had to have a reason for writing them. So when you read this passage, it, it begs the question, Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. Why is Luke, the author of, this, uh, of the book of Acts, telling us this detail about what's happening in this moment? You know, there's something powerful about if I told you a story, like I was talking to Kate yesterday, and, you know, I said, hey, we've got to figure out what to do with the backyard. You'd be like, well, good for you. But if I said, yeah, I was talking to Kate, and then I said, hey, look at me. We've got to figure out what to do with the backyard. I'd get rebuked. I'm caring about my backyard a little too much. But there's something different. When he, Peter looked straight at him. And so did John. And then they went even further and said, hey, look at us. There's a moment happening here in the early church that I think we can really easily miss. The reality is this is happening in Jerusalem. This is happening in a city where uh, Jesus had been at least, at least one time every year of his ministry. So we know uh, Jesus was in Jerusalem with his disciples for, uh, every year for three years. We find out in the next chapter that this uh, beggar has been being placed at the gate called Beautiful every day for over 40 years. He's over 40 years old. So in this moment, Peter and John are walking to the temple. They're walking to the temple courts to go worship and to pray, and they're passing someone that they've seen every at least once a year. They've seen this guy before, which also begs the question, Jesus saw this guy, and yet he didn't get healed. Why didn't Jesus heal this beggar that he saw at least three times? Now, I'm just submitting things to you tonight. Here we go. This is my submission to you. I think the reason that Jesus let that, those three years go by and he didn't heal this beggar was for this moment with Peter and John. It was for this moment with the early church. Because Peter and John had to have a moment where they realized, wait, Jesus isn't here. We can't go tap on Jesus' shoulder and ask him to come and show him this, this guy that's hurting and needs healing and then draw a crowd and let Jesus preach and let Jesus do what he does. Jesus wasn't coming around the corner. Jesus had to teach the church, hey, it's you guys. It's not, it, it, it's me through the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's through you. The, 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 the Peter and John had to have, I, I think why Luke put that in there, I think what, there's this moment where, where Peter and John are locking eyes with this beggar who's been begging for four decades, and I think Peter's having a moment, and he's realizing that in light of the gospel, in light of the message of Jesus that they're giving their life for, that they're spreading, it, there's no difference between me and this beggar. The gospel is for beggars, the gospel is for Peters, the gospel is for all these people going in and out of the temple. I've just, I think Peter just never really saw before 
Like he looked, he had to have had looked as he walked past this guy, but I don't think he ever saw him. The church had to learn, hey, you've got to see things a little differently now. The church is birthed out of this idea that in light of the gospel, the Peters and the beggars and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the smart and the wealthy and the poor and the uneducated, you're all the same. You all need me. And then look at this uh, uh, in verse 6 and 7. Peter says, and I know we're, we, I, I love sharing the gospel. I got to get a lot better at it, um, or better at doing it, actually. Um, I, I don't recommend saying this today. Silver or gold, I do not have. But what I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Like, that's bold. Maybe do it, but maybe contextualize it a little bit. But here's the deal. I don't know if you've ever noticed. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet uh, and ankles became strong. When did the miracle take place? It's not when Peter says, in the name of Jesus, walk. The scripture says he says that, and then he extends his right hand and lifts him up, and instantly as he lifts him up, his feet and ankles become strong. I think Peter and John are learning a lesson for the church that we need to learn yet today. But we don't just do drive-bys. We don't roll down our window and say, hey, in the name of Jesus, be healed, and poof, everything is better. That in the name of Jesus, we're called as the church to extend the right hand. Now, the right hand, how many of you are left-handed in the room? Now, I, I think I know the answer to this. It's not like the crux of my point, so I won't worry if I'm not. But you that raise your hand, you left-handed people in the room, what hand do you shake your hands with when you meet somebody? Left or right? Right. I'm so sorry. That's prejudice, man. That's not okay. But here's the deal. We are still living in a society today that, is, that is, uh, uh, looks just an awful lot like what Peter and John are living in. You see, in their culture, the right hand was reserved for people of equal status. So the church extends the hand of equal status, at which point... They also commit to helping him. Oh, y'all, I hope you're getting it. And when does the miracle happen? When the church is the church. When the church extends the hand and is willing to walk with people in their brokenness, to walk with people in their sin, to walk with people that don't want to be walked with. When the church is willing to be that and help them up, the miracles happen. There's just something about this I think that we have to learn that the church was birthed out of this idea. We've got to see things differently, and we've got to be willing to walk with people. Okay, y'all, I'm just, y'all put that in your notes. That's, everyone's writing. And I'll submit to you once again, I think in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, oftentimes the church is the miracle. People just need someone to extend a hand and walk with them and point them to wholeness and point them to Jesus. And of course, Jesus is the one doing the healing, and he's the one doing the wholeness and breaking free and breaking the chains. We can't do that. Only the name of Jesus can. But I think people are oftentimes sitting around waiting for the church to be the church. They're just waiting for someone to extend them a hand and say, hey, stand up, and I'll help you. And if you fall back down, I'll help you up again. 
and I'm going to point you to Jesus. He's the one that can heal you. But we're the church, and we're called to extend the hand and walk with people. All right. So the church was started by a group of people who were learning to see things differently and learning how to walk with people in the process. All right, now we're going to do a little summary. We wouldn't have time to read every passage, every scripture. So Acts 3, 8 through 26. This is what happens right after this man gets healed. The healed man goes walking and jumping with Peter and John into the temple. And uh, as you could imagine, it causes a scene. Because most of these people recognize this man right away. He's been there every day for four decades. So a crowd begins to form and people are confused and people are amazed. And then Peter gets up and he preaches his second sermon, which if you read it, and you were here last week, it sounds an awful lot like the first. Like that man was bold. So here we go. Here's the arc of the story. The second sermon has just been preached. And now we jump into Acts 4, verse 1. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Things just got a little messy for this cool young church. This, two, this, this cool Acts 2, 42 through 47 church just had their pastors put in jail. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. I said it last week. I don't know if you missed it. When the gospel is preached, people get saved and people get mad. Now we're going to skip down. The, the next couple of verses in Acts chapter 4, now this group of leaders, these Sadducees and these priests and, and, and the temple guard, they're starting to try to figure out what do we do with this Peter and John who just performed a miracle. And we're going to jump down to verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I can't think of a better way to describe the church. A group of ordinary men, ordinary women, ordinary kids that have met with Jesus. I, okay, we're going to keep going. That's just, we're going to stay there for a minute, but we're going to keep going. Verse 14. But since they could see the man who had he been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw. So they sent Peter and John away, and they, they met together. What are we going to do with these men? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they performed a notable sign, and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading... Okay, hold on, pause. I, these guys just healed somebody in the name of Jesus. We can't deny it but we've got to figure out how to stop it. Remember last week we talked about people are, going to people are going to reject the message. Some people are like, for whatever reason, they had already decided that they did not believe and that Jesus threatened their way of life, threatened their position in society. He threatened how much money they could make. He threatened how much authority they would have over people's lives. And so they didn't care that they couldn't deny it. 
They just decided, we've got to stop it. The church has to be okay with being rejected. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again. So they called Peter and John back and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, and they're, they're talking to the religious leaders of the Jewish people who are telling them to stop speaking and teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus. And their sarcastic reply, so sarcasm has a place in Scripture, in its rightful place, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him, you be the judge. You're the spiritual leaders of this entire place. You be the judge. Are you really going to tell us that we should listen to you and not God? As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we've heard. What we've seen and heard sounds an awful lot like a group of people that have been meeting with Jesus. The church has to be a place where you and I are meeting with Jesus. And then we're telling people about what we're seeing and what we're hearing. The power on Peter's message, the power on those sermons, he hadn't gone to school. He didn't have a a, a theology degree. He he didn't have uh, his doctorate. He didn't go to seminary. He hadn't learned how to use really good one-liners. The power of Peter's message came from he had been with Jesus. And his being with Jesus had led to vote to devotion to Jesus, and his devotion to Jesus had led to a boldness, but it was a boldness that was based in, let me just tell you what I've seen and heard. When the church stops meeting with Jesus, we lose our right to have an impact in our city and in our society. We will overcome by the power of the Lamb, by the blood of the Lamb and the power of our testimony. Your testimony is what Jesus has done and is doing in your life. We've got to be people meeting with Jesus, not just corporately and worshiping together and having amazing times of worship together and hearing incredible sermons by incredible speakers. And we're talking about life groups. That's great. We need life groups that are meeting Jesus together. I'm talking about tomorrow morning when you wake up, meeting with Jesus. Now, it looks different in every season. I can't tell a college student that their life tomorrow morning looks the same as as a dad who's got four kids and runs a business. Your life looks different, but we can all meet with Jesus. And we have to. Because if we don't, then you and I, the church, the people of God, we just start telling people other people's stories. And we, we, we lose the power. Because the power's in your testimony. When I preach the gospel and I use Nolan's testimony, there's no power on it because it's his story. And if you're going home and you're telling people, man, I'm having this great encounter. I had this, this church is great and it's amazing. And, and, and the preacher said this and he did this when he was in college and he had this amazing experience. Don't you want to love Jesus? They're like, no, I don't know that guy. What's on your life? <laughs> What's Jesus done for you? I mean, come on, when you, talk, when you talk about, I know that like churches don't often tend to love messages about like evangelism, and I get it. Peter and John look at the leaders of, of their religion and the most powerful influential people in the city, and they're like, hey, call it what you want, but we can't stop telling people about what Jesus has said and what he's done, what we've seen him do, what we've seen him say. 
The church is a group of ordinary people that meets with Jesus. And we've got to be people that are willing to just tell people about it. It takes, a, it takes evangelism like from like, oh no, people are going to hate us. We've spreading this message and people don't like us. And it's like, just tell people about what he's done in your life. And if you don't know, meet with Jesus and then talk to somebody else in the room. Like, hey, let somebody else look at you and be like, I know what you used to be like. I can tell you what Jesus has done in your life. I was there when he wasn't. We've got to know that the power of the church lies in the fact that you and I are ordinary, ordinary people. And I don't want to offend anyone in the room, but we're a bunch of ordinary people. I'm the most ordinary. If you follow me around for a day, it does not get much more ordinary than me. And praise God. His church is built on you and me. You don't have to be special. You don't have to have all these other medals hanging around your neck and be like, now can I be a part of the church? Now can I help spread the kingdom? Now can I preach the gospel? It's like, actually, it's probably worse now because now you think a lot of yourself. Be ordinary and let God move in your ordinary and then go tell people about it because you know what? This city is incredible. It's got a lot of ordinary people that don't need self-righteous people with medals hanging around their neck telling them what to do. They need ordinary people being like, can I tell you what Jesus did in my life? That's the church. Okay. Ministry time. Ministry time. Okay. I have to, just so you know, I didn't decide to get really cool. Uh, This is, uh, my printer is out of ink and we found out at 4 p.m. So here we go. All right, so we're going to go down here um, to verse 23, chapter 4. So basically, essentially, between these two passages, this group of religious leaders and guards and people, they just don't know what to do. They don't know what to do with Peter and John, so they talk together, and they decide, well, let's just, we can't do anything because so many people saw what happened So many people are praising God that if we were to like put them in jail more or stone them or something, our lives are going to be on the line here. So due to the fact that so many people are now worshiping God, we've got to let these people go. But let's threaten them a little bit first. So they threaten them and then they release them. And you've already read what happens next. On their release, Peter and John go back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they had heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Uh, To God. They were praying to God. The church has just experienced its first ever persecution. I mean, think about it. Like, these people are hearing the message of Peter. They're hearing the gospel like a week earlier, a couple days earlier. We don't exactly know how much time, but they're like, yes, I need Jesus. I'm in. And then they show up to Acts 2.42 church. And they're like, oh my gosh, everyone's living life together, and they're selling things, and, and they're doing life together, and they're eating together, and they're worse. This is amazing. And then they're like, wait, what? You got put in jail? People don't like this? People, wait, you're saying that there's a cost to this? This was amazing. This was, well, well, wait a second, you got thrown in jail? Could I get thrown in jail? And suddenly the early church, can you imagine those, those 3,000, 5,000 people watching Peter and John get thrown in, in jail for even for a night, and they're like, hold up. You didn't mention that in your sermon. You didn't mention jail time. What is this thing going to cost me? 
And the early church had to start to grapple with the cost of following Jesus. And here's how the leadership of that church chose to respond to the persecution. They prayed. Now, this is not a prayer that you and I would pray. I would hope that if I got put in jail tonight for this message, y'all might pray for me. You might pray for my wife on Mother's Day. That would be a bummer. There's a lot of ways that you could pray for me. There's a lot of ways that I would pray in jail. I don't know if, without reading this, if this would be where I went. This is their prayer. Lord, oh, this sorry, this is verse 29. Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Well, first, I just want to know, they had already, the Holy Spirit had already fallen on this group of people? So you can, it can fall multiple. That's another sermon? There's an indwelling, there's a baptism, there's an outpouring, and Scripture just tells us that you can get filled with the Holy Spirit many times. Okay. Their prayer in the face of persecution was not, make this easier. It was not, I didn't know that people wouldn't like the message. Change the message. They didn't look for an easy out. Their response was, hey, 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 church, gather around. We're going to pray for Cody. Lord, let him do it in jail. Let him preach more sermons. Let's all preach more. Let's all see more miracles and more healings. All the, this thing that got him thrown in jail, this thing that's ruffling feathers of leadership across the city, let's see more of it. Because they knew the cost of following Jesus, was uh, the, the cost of jail time, the, it was nothing compared to the freedom that they had tasted. It was nothing compared to what they have seen and heard because they were meeting with Jesus. Jail time's nothing to this group of people. Because they're like, are you kidding me? It's Jesus. It's every, he's everything. He set me free. And you're going to sit here and, and, and like try and get out of hard things? No, more. We want more Jesus. And I, I read that passage, and I just see them praying. Yeah, if people get angry, we want more. If it means people are going to meet you, and they're going to get free, and they're going to get whole. Yeah, if uh, these miracles that people are, are happening and people don't know what to do with it and it's confusing and people are mocking them and people are thinking people are drunk and people have no idea. Yeah, more of that. Because you know what? That drew a crowd and I was in that crowd and I got saved. So let's do it more. The early church was birthed out of a place of in their response to persecution was a prayer for more Jesus not for an easier Jesus. And we've got to be a church willing to join them in that prayer. And then Acts 4 ends with a few verses. I think we have the summary. It's actually really powerful if you read the, the end of Acts 4 and the end of Acts 2. It's like here, end of Acts 2, this amazing Acts 2.42, like First Baptist Jerusalem is crushing it. And then, oh wait, people are getting thrown in jail and, and people are confused and what do we do and how do we respond? And things just got a little messy, like what do we do now? And then it ends, oh yeah, basically another Acts 2.42. 
It, the last, the ending of Acts 4 is just reiterates, and the people were together, and they were praying, and they were loving God, and they were loving each other, and they were devoted. And it goes a step further, and it starts talking about people have started selling their homes and their property. And here, I just want to submit this. This is like a whole nother topic, whole nother sermon. Talk about spiritual authority. The early church started selling their homes and everything they owned, and they came and they gave their money to a, a group of guys called the apostles. And they said, hey, you've been put in charge. Do with the money what, what you will for the kingdom. That's spirit, that, that is submitting to spiritual authority on a level that I need to learn. We all need to learn. But the early church is, is being rooted. There's a reason that it's in-capping once again. Things just got hard. But guess what? They were all together, and they had everything in common, and they were loving Jesus, and they were loving each other, and they were selling stuff, and they were giving to each other everything they had need, and people's needs were getting met. And then it ends with a story about a specific guy who sold a specific plot of land and gave the money. And I'm not going to go into that story. That'll be for next week. But I want to just end tonight once again by asking the question, what has Acts 3 and 4 taught us today in 2019 in Salt Lake City? It's taught us that the church has to see things differently. We've got to see people differently. When you look through the lens of the gospel, you see that the beggar and Peter are the same. It means that when you're struggling with your boss or your coworker or your roommate, and they just irritate you so much because they're so prideful and they're so self-centered. And all you want to do is like text all your friends about how awful they are. And you can't wait until you get a new boss. And you can't wait and you should be the boss. And they shouldn't even have that position. When you look through the light of the gospel, you're like, oh, that's pride. I have that. Oh, yeah. I, I, I know what I'm getting frustrated with. It's me. I'm so frustrated with your selfishness and your self-centeredness. And if you don't see it through the lens of the gospel, you're like, and I'm better, so figure it out. But the gospel in the early church, they look at the eyes of the beggar and they're like, hold on, you are lame. You cannot walk. You've been this way for four decades. Every day you're here begging people for money that you might get enough to eat, that you don't die. And I'm looking at you and I'm seeing you for the first time. And you know what? We're just like each other. We need Jesus. I need healing. I need freedom. This gospel is not just for me. It's for you. It's for all of us. We've got to see things differently. When you look through the lens of the gospel, you start to see people differently. You start to show a little bit more grace because you start to realize, oh, that's me. I'm self-centered. I, I want to get that out of me. I don't hate that person that frustrates me that they're so this or they're so that. But in light of the gospel, we all need Jesus. We've got to be willing as a church to walk with people, to let the miracles come when we extend our hand and are willing to say, we'll help you up. We're not a drive-by church. We learned that the church was started by a group of ordinary people that met with Jesus. If that is the only thing that is ever said about Antioch Salt Lake City, it will be the best thing that, that ever happened to us. Oh, they raised their hands in worship. They got a full band. They, they, there's a guy dancing in the corner. They, they really do this discipleship. They really care about discipleship. They preach the gospel. They believe in healings. 
They believe in the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah, but they, they meet with Jesus. When you, can, when you, when you, when you put that, you, yeah, but they meet with Jesus, a lot of things that we think are major become really minor. And lastly, they're a group that prayed for more of Jesus, not an easier Jesus. They prayed for more gospel, not an easier one. And it set them up to be the hands and feet of Jesus in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and in Salt Lake City. We're here today because a group of ordinary people saw things a little differently, met with Jesus, and pressed in when persecution came. I want to end uh, my message a little different than normal. I'm super honored and excited. Speaking of the church being the church and being the hands and feet of Jesus in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the very ends of the earth, we're a go people, we're a send people. And I believe that we're called to send people back to workplaces and homes and neighborhoods. And we're called to send people to other parts of, of the United States to start churches that start churches. And we're called to send people around the world to start churches. Tonight we get to send out two ladies that are going to spend the next three months in the ends of the earth, be in the hands and the feet of Jesus. Would you welcome Jessica Bentrude and Ashley Lewis? I was asking her if I could share where she's going, and I can't. She's going to the ends of the earth, and we're not allowed to say where on a microphone. So um, that's pretty cool. <laughs> this is Ashley, and Ashley at our discipleship school and has a heart for God and is loving Jesus here in Salt Lake City and just felt prompted to, why don't I go for a summer and spend three months in a foreign country and just see what it looks like to live on the mission field and be on mission 24-7. Same with Jess Bentrude over here. I can say where you're going, right? I can't say. Where you can say. I'm going to Indonesia. Uh, to be honest, I was a little afraid I was going to get it wrong, so I wanted you to say it. <laughs> hey, but I just want to take a second, and as a church family, as we close out tonight, let's just pray for them. They're going, they, they are saying yes to the gospel I don't know if you have signed up to go be a missionary for three months in a foreign country before. Um, it can be a little scary. It can be a little intimidating. But when you say yes to Jesus, it's worth it. And we're a family that supports people that are saying yes to Jesus every step of the way. We're with you guys now. We're with you next month. We're with you when you get back. Whoever wants to come up, let's pray for them. God, we thank you for Ashley and Jess. We just bless them in the name of Jesus. We ask for more of your Holy Spirit in their lives. God, we bless their feet that the land that they walk on would be theirs, that you have made a way for them. You've planted seeds that they will go and reap the harvest in the name of Jesus. We pray protection over them. We pray uh, physically and emotionally and spiritually that they would be protected, that you would walk with them so closely. They'd see a new piece of you, God, in their three months abroad, that they would just spend time away with you. So we just thank you for their boldness. We pray for more of it in the name of Jesus. Amen.
as we're talking about the church that Jesus built, we can't miss Jesus. The reason we gather in this thing called the body of Christ is because of Jesus. It's because of the gospel. It's because he saves. It's because he finds people in their lowest point and meets them where they are. Because he offers freedom and life and wholeness. Because he died on a cross that you and I wouldn't have to. Because he defeated death because he knew you and I couldn't. It's the gospel. It's why it matters that that gospel goes from Jerusalem to Salt Lake City. It's why it matters that it goes from Salt Lake City to Indonesia and from places we can't even say in public. Because there's people all over the world. And there might be people in this room that need to know you're loved. You're loved. You're chosen. You were died for. You were purchased with a high price. All so that we could be in relationship. All that we could spend the rest of our life learning and growing and finding and falling more in love with Jesus. Not that we might be made perfect in an instant. Not that your life will suddenly, all your problems will go away because you say yes to Jesus. But your problems will be there tomorrow. But tomorrow you can, you can face them with Jesus. And you can spend the rest of your life on that journey. If you're in the room tonight, all you have to do is say yes to a free gift, and I'm going to offer it. We're not selling anything. We're offering the gift of Jesus. If everybody wants to bow their head, the Bible says you just got to pray. You got to believe. So pray with me. All across the room, if, if it's your first time, if you've never said yes to Jesus, you can, you can repeat after me. You can make it your own words. He's after your heart. And I'm going to say if you're in the room and you're a, a, a lover of Jesus, you're a disciple, may in this moment, may you pray that you'd be centered on the gospel. That as we learn how to be the church, we would first and foremost commit to loving Jesus with our whole heart, our whole strength, our whole mind. Jesus, we love you. I love you and I choose you. I've tried to be the Lord of my own life. Jesus, I, I give it to you. I'm, uh, maybe for the first time, I'm willing to admit I need a Savior. Jesus, I choose you. And I believe that you are who you say you are. And that you did what you said you did. And that you're the only way, the only truth, and the only life. So come, be Lord of my life today. Amen.